0: The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from the Star in Sheffield. Business is picking up. Welcome to the Star Blades. We're back and ready to discuss all the very latest from Sheffield United. I'm Liam Hoden. Joining me first
1: is the Stars' long-serving Blades writer, James Shield. How are things, James? All good, all good. Good to be back and uh, good to see uh, football cranking back into gear again with a a couple of new signings, one in particular.
0: Yes, yes, we're, uh, we'll certainly touch on that and we're all certainly delighted that this break's not going to be too long. Um, and joining us, completing the Stars United writing duo, Danny Hall. How are things, Danny? Not bad, mate. How are you? How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. See, I, I, my, I don't know whether people know my... Main role is covering Doncaster Rovers, so I've not had any football to cover for nearly six months now. Uh, and uh, looks like their first game is going to be next week, so it's uh, I'm I'm I for one am delighted that uh, the football is, is well and truly back and it is going to be Keep back. you out of mischief, Liam. Keep yes. you out of mischief, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just to let you know, we are recording on a video conference insight, so if we do experience any audio issues throughout this, we do apologise for that. Um, First of all, uh, we're just a couple of hours out from the release of the uh, Premier League fixtures. Uh, Danny, what's your initial impressions of the fixture list for, for United in the coming season? Um, United play every other Premier League team twice in the
2: next in the next uh, was it eight months or whatever? Uh, once at home, once away. Uh, I, I did a piece a couple of hours ago saying, you know, some people look forward to it like it's almost Christmas Day. I know a few people last night won't be able to sleep, you know, thinking about who we we're gonna get Thursday. Other people, you know, just think like I've just said, you know, they're gonna play every other team in the Premier League home and away. So why does it really matter? Um, Took a little bit of a shine off it this year, I think, uh, from what I've seen so far, from the fact that you know, fans normally will be pouring through this, thinking, you know, where's the first the first longer away trip of the season? Overnight stays, few beers the night before, that kind of thing. I think that's been well, it has it has undoubtedly been been taken away by you know the fact that for the first well, we don't know how long can't do it for, for the first however many months of the season, how many games, there's going to be no one there. So that kind of tempers it a little bit. I mean, you know, the first thing that I look for this morning was the Leeds games. I you know that's the, I think it's the second home game of the season. You know, that's going to be behind behind closed doors, which is a real shame because they're always um, really good occasions, really good games. And you know, I don't think there's been a, a Yorkshire Premier League derby for 20 years. I think it, you'll correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, so it's a real shame that the first first um, first one of those in a while will be, you know, everyone watching it home on TV, but, you know, as we said before, for months with this, that's how it's, how it's got to be. There's a bigger, bigger issue at stake with all that. Uh, It's just a shame that, you know, it's kind of taken, taken the gloss off, of things a little bit, but, you know, there's still, again, I wrote in that piece this morning, that Chris Wilder always says, you know, he's not one for, for, pouring through the, the fixture list and saying, oh, you know, that's an easy run of games, that's a difficult one. Um, but there are some that are more difficult than others, I think it's fair to say. We're uh, looking at the latter end of January is a difficult one. October is not the best either. Uh, but like I say, it's one of those things you have to play each of these teams coming away at some point. Um, so it is what it is. But yeah, it's just another another step, isn't it, towards the start of the season? It's another kind of milestone towards. Actually getting some gains back because it's not been that long since the last game of the season in no. real terms, <laughs> it seems like an absolute eternity. So yeah, the sooner the better, as far as I'm concerned.
0: James, we probably yeah, saw so from yeah. last season runs that we perhaps thought were going to be very difficult for United, I'm thinking around
1: the Christmas New Year period, actually didn't turn out to be that bad at all. We can say it as journalists, some games are eminently more winnable than others. If Sheffield United had started the season, for example, playing Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur, I think Chris Wilder would have probably been a little bit worried because what you don't want to do is is go into October as it is now and, and potentially have only one or two points on the board. But as, as Sheffield United showed last season, it, it, it really is so impossible to predict because nobody, uh, you know, nobody who looks at these things, nobody whose job it is to try and analyse how the season will unfold, all these terrible com- supercomputer things. that I know I shouldn't say it because we like talking about them, but, you know, just spew out stuff and nonsense. You know, the, the supercomputer didn't predict that Sheffield United were going to be challenging for a, a place in Europe come the end of the campaign. So, you know, I, I think the really interesting thing for me is there's two things that I've looked at. And one is... You've, I've, I've tried to sort of judge when fans will be allowed back in the stadiums, and you know, look at the games around them because I I think we will get to a point next season when fans are allowed in. That's obviously happening in non-league. The mm-hmm. other thing as well that I think Chris Wilder and his coaching staff will be looking at because I'm I'm damn sure that although, as Danny quite rightly said, Chris says on you know numerous occasions, I already know what the fixture list is. We play everybody twice. I'm absolutely certain they'll be looking at it in more detail than that. Absolutely certain of it. Because they're football fans like the rest of us. So there's one really interesting thing for me, is, and that is when you look at when the European competitions are scheduled. And there's, I think there's five occasions before the end of February where Sheffield United play teams who will just have been involved in European competition, or who will have been if they, if they progress to the knockout stages, of either the Champions League or the Europa League. I think it's fair to say that people like Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and Frank Lampard, they are quite prone to, you know, sort of, I don't know, jigging about their squads to making changes to their starting eleven before and after those games. Some of those will be enforced, some of those will be because they're trying to guard against fatigue. And, you know, I think Sheffield United will look at those games and think potentially, potentially, you know, the fact that Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea and Leicester City, the other one in the Europa League, will have been involved in these competitions just gives them a little bit more of a, more of a fighting chance in those games. Mm. We've not had a massive amount of
0: opportunity to kind of reflect on last season on, uh, on this podcast. Um, but now we've had a, sort of a few weeks where we can kind of digest things and, and, and look back. How do we assess it? It seemed to end, it, it, it was unfortunate the way it ended, really. I think, I think that's, that from my perspective, it looks like, you know, what would have been an amazing season, we got, like on paper, an amazing season. Just had that bit of a disappointment because it kind of ended with a little bit of a whimper and that European dream kind of fell away. How do you look back on it, James, uh, as a whole?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen. First off, it was it was an amazing season to finish ninth in your first season back in the Premier League after twelve years. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so full credit to everybody at Sheffield United for that. I think we've we've got to say that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the end of the season was disappointing. I think it's fair to say they didn't get to grips with the sort of the challenge of playing behind closed doors, perhaps as quickly as they would have liked. And that's going to be interesting as well, because I thought what you saw during Project Restart was that the teams who actually dealt with it a little bit better were the ones who, you know, were the better... God, I don't like using that word, but the the more established clubs in the top flight, the sort of the, the traditional powerhouses. And I know there were results that Sheffield United had against Chelsea and against Spurs that go against that. But I think by and large... The, the absence of a crowd made it a pure footballing test of ability, if you like. And you know, I think even Chris Wilder and his coaching staff and his players would would, would admit that teams like Manchester City and teams like Liverpool—I uh, know they didn't play during Project Restart—but they, you know, they have better players. Uh, you know, they, they've got more experienced players at top flight level. So I think that's interesting. I think at the beginning of this season coming up, that will work for and against. Sheffield United. I think the other thing, though, is although it was a disappointment with the way it petered out with three, three losses, I actually think Chris Wilder and, 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 and his assistant Alan Idle look back on those final few weeks of the season and actually think, Do you know what, that, that was actually a really instructive period because what, for me, it did was it highlighted desperately where Sheffield United need to improve. If they're going to go on and be, you know, if they're going to go on and establish themselves in the Premier League over three, four, five seasons and beyond. Because, you know, and that's not a criticism, that's just an observation. Because to do that, they are going to have to get better. I think what it exposed was the lack of squad depth. Uh, You know, they couldn't rotate their squad when the games were coming thick and fast as much as some of the other teams have been at that level for a longer period, I think fatigue, both mental and physically, did, did begin to creep in. It showed that. I think the other thing it showed, especially that final game of the season at Southampton was, they've got to become better at taking their chances. They've, they've, you know, they create enough, but they don't take enough. That's the one criticism I think you could make of Sheffield United's season last year. I think if they'd have been a little bit more ruthless up front, I think they would have certainly reached the semi-finals of the FA Cup, I think they would have gone a damn sight closer in terms of that race for Europe. And that's something that they've got to do better next year. Not only in terms of looking at the transfer market, the players they've already got there have got to improve as well. And I think they can. But I think they'll look back on that period and think, yes, although it was, you know, a disappointing period, although it was a little bit of a shame about how it petered out, it was actually really revealing and really, really instructive as well.
0: Yeah. How do you look back on it then, Danny? It
2: was just interesting something that James said there about uh, kind of improving the strikers that United already got, because as we all know on this on this podcast, you know, it's not a club that can just go out and say, you know, write a check for a, a Danny Ings, you know, or, a, or a, you know, possibly even a Adams at this point, where you know, it is almost when something needs to improve at a football club straight away, fans and people in the media as well always say, well, who, can, who can we bring in to fix that? Whereas sometimes, as, you, as Jim says, there, the skill set that the strikers at United already have, listen, they probably need to add to add to that striking department, but they already have their core kind of, you know, um, group of strikers who have different abilities, you know, and I think Ollie McBurney as well, I think he's he seemed to get Better, but I know towards the end he kind of faded a little bit because I think, you know, his first real, first full Premier League season, even despite the, the break in the middle, uh, it just took its toll eventually. But I think you can definitely see the, the potential there. Uh, if You know, at least Musa comes back fit and firing, which is a, a big a big question mark on, on at least one of those, one of those two things. Um, but yeah, there was definitely potential there and that, you know, they, they can, I'm sure with a bit of work, they can at least eke a few more a few more goals out of that forward line because like James said there, you know, creating chances last season wasn't, you know, you always worry if you come out of a game and you've not created a single clear-cut chance but I can't think of many games last season even against the top teams probably Liverpool away was probably one of them but I think even then they hit the post later on if my memory mm-hmm. serves me right but they weren't very close. Um, so yeah, if you're coming out of games thinking we've not created a lot there, you are worried but, you know, if you are creating things then, you know, there's always that kind of uh, scope for improvement so yeah looking back on that season as Jim rightly says brilliant um you can't really criticize them for for basically running out of steam i think towards the end mentally physical tiredness um like right, you know the, the kind of blow of losing the crowd i don't think you can overstate how important that that was to them um just because you know they're a team that kind of plays with that that back in it gives them an extra extra few yards i think in in the game um
1: but yeah, definitely, it's definitely signs uh, positive signs for the for the coming season. I think it's a big, big season for two of the players. Danny's mentioned there. I think one is Ollie McBurney, uh, and as Danny quite rightly said, I thought he showed signs of real progress towards the end of the season. Uh, you know, and he he's got to look to build on that. He's a young player, so you know, I think he can uh, he can do that. I know the coaching staff were pleased with the way that he developed over the season, but. You know he's got to get. He's got to look to get into double figures next season. There's, there's no doubt about that. Not only for for Sheffield United's sake, but I think for his the sake of his own career as well at the highest level. And the other one, I, I, I mean, Lise Moussa. Th- th- this is a player who, for me, has got everything on paper. Has got everything. He's got pace. He's got ability. He's got that sort of raw edge. The one thing he's clearly not got is fitness. Now. You know, if Sheffield United or, well, actually, no, if Lees Moussa, because ultimately it boils down to what a player wants to do, if Lise Moussa can get his head right and he can get himself in good condition, this is the kid who can be a game changer for me if he stays at the football club. Because there's got to be a question mark about that with the way, you know, the coaching staff were talking about him towards the end of last season. They clearly weren't that happy with him. Uh, because it went from the carrot of gently cajoling him on to being a little bit more of a stick approach. This is a kid who, if if he gets this right, he can be a game-changer for this football club because, you know, they signed him for £10 million, which is a lot of money for Sheffield United. If he applies himself properly, if he gets himself psychologically right, he gets himself fit and he stays fit and he listens and learns... His incentive is three or four years down the track, if the market conditions stay the same, I can see him moving on quite comfortably for 70, 80 million pounds. I think he really, really is that good. But at the moment, you know, he's not showing that. And I really desperately hope, again, I'm not putting the boot into Lisa but I desperately hope because he's a nice lad. And I really hope for his own sake as well, as, as well as for the sake of the football club, that he comes back, looks at what I did, looks at what he did last season and thinks, do you know what? Other than a period over the autumn, you know, that that really wasn't good enough. And and I've got to change the way that I uh, I've got to change the way that I manage my own career because ultimately it does boil down to him.
0: We'll touch on it then while while we're kind of talking about that that sort of area the pitch. Is, is it, are we at the point now where striker's at the top of the list? In terms of uh, what
1: could potentially be coming through the door over the next couple of weeks, I think it's certainly the top of the list in terms of a requirement, as it were. I I, I suspect, and I might be wrong on this because, you know, nobody really knows. Not even Chris, not even Carl Sheba, who helps negotiate the contracts, and Paul Mitchell really know how how a sort of a transfer deal is, is going to unfold. I, I think it's top of the list, as I said, in terms of requirements. I suspect in terms of how some of the other deals are progressing that it might not be the first one to get done either, uh, you know, though. Uh, you know, because, listen, you. I always remember Neil Warnock once saying, you can make saves on the quiet, you can make tackles on the quiet, you can make headers on the quiet, and you can make passes on the quiet. You never score goals on the quiet, no matter what level you're at. So I think deals for strikers, unless they've got some flaws in their game that you think you can rectify, I think deals for strikers who are ready to come in and step in and do the job, uh, even if they fall within your price range, uh, I I think those tend to be quite complicated to do because there's a lot of clubs after them. There's always a lot of interest in them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Danny, before we touch on the business that United have done, where else do you think they might need to uh, to strengthen in in this window?
2: Uh, I always look at. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I always look at, and I don't know this is something Chris has looked on with the uh, Matty Cash kind of pursuit. Uh, Chris Basham is, you know, to me I, I can't raise him enough. Mister Chef United for me, you know, is unbelievable. But the only fact, if he was. You know, six, seven, eight years younger, then you know United would be a lot more happy about that because you know he's not going to go on forever. As much as he probably could, go on for quite a few years yet yeah, in terms of his fitness because the man's an absolute machine. Um, I reckon that is a position, especially with the way United set up, is such a key, a key position. Uh, I reckon that would be something that they were looking to to uh, to sign. Probably covering competition. I know it's Chris one of Chris's um, key one of his keywords, but. You know, at the same time, players like Chris Basham in that Chris Basham position don't really—they don't really exist. But they, you know, you have to kind of, kind of mold them, and you have to create them from, you know, definitely is a mixture of a old-school centre half in terms of the proper defending side of it, and then he's a flying wing back as well. So you have to kind of mold all those attributes together. So it's not usually as easy as just going and picking, you know, a defender or. Chris Basham from somewhere else so I think that will be something that he hopes to to uh, to strengthen we've seen with the pursuit uh, of uh, John Swift who's a player that I really like and I've admired for a few years That um, you know there's obviously he wants to strengthen that area especially with the John Lundstrom uncertainty um, so yeah I think those will be the, the key areas now he's got the goalkeeper situation sorted out which was the the big one the big one this summer um, you know it'll be a tough ask Feeling. Dean Henderson's boots or his gloves um, but I think in, in Aaron Ramsdale they've uh, they've made a pretty good job of that I think
0: Yeah we'll get uh, we'll onto that now James Aaron Ramsdale big deal done and a big area of the pitch kind of sorted out the, the the uncertainty in that area of the pitch as well it, 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 this is a big deal in it
1: yeah so it's a, it's a big deal both in terms of money and I think it's a, a big deal in terms of literally being a very big deal for Sheffield United because you know it's it's solved uh, it's solved a problem for them because <coughs> excuse me as what, you, you know they found themselves in a situation this is the problem when you do loan deals and again listen it was clearly the right deal to do Dean Anderson has been exceptional over the uh, over the past two seasons uh, been a huge part of Sheffield United's success. I think it's also important to remember, and fair play to Dean actually, for when he he released a little statement on social media talk, you know, effectively saying Cheerio uh, yesterday. I think Sheffield United have done an awful lot for Dean Henderson as well. I think it's I think it's important to remember that. But you know, when you're in positions like this, almost the better Dean Henderson did, and the more Sheffield United improved Dean Henderson. In the sense, the bigger the bigger the problem it created for them, because it made it less likely that they were ever going to be able to sign him. And I, you know, by by, I think probably by January, it was pretty obvious that, you know, by that point his career had developed uh, at sort of such a pace that he was no longer within that price range, and he was clearly always always going to be going back. So, you know, I think understandably, so the first preference around April time was to bring Dean back. But I think it was important they got this deal done now because all it would have done was, was part a problem. And Aaron Ramsdale, who I think can... From what we've seen of Aaron over the past couple of years and speaking to people who were involved in the academy at the time when Aaron Ramsdale came through at Sheffield United, of course, before he went to Bournemouth... I don't see any reason. I think he's got, you know, many, a lot of the same attributes, a lot of the same qualities as Dean Henderson, and I, I, I don't think there's, you know, well, I know there's a lot of people within the game who think that within five years' time, it, you, you could be in a situation where it's Dean Henderson and Aaron Ramsdale battling it out to become England's England's number one goalkeeper. Uh, but they needed to get that deal done now. If they, if they'd have parked on that, you know, and thought, you know, what we might look at this. At some point next summer, I think it's clear that Aaron would have probably left Bournemouth anyway, but he wouldn't be at Bramall Lane. He would have been at Aston Villa possibly or somewhere else. Sheffield United have got a really, really promising young goalkeeper on their hands, possibly one of the most exciting young goalkeepers in the country. So I think it was a good deal because most importantly, he is their player now. And that is absolutely key. If Aaron Ramsdale, you know, improves, as we all think he will do, if he gets better, the work that Sheffield United put in with him, they will reap the benefits of. It won't be Manchester United that reap the benefits of it. It will be be Sheffield United. And I think it's a big, big part, you know, of of, of Sheffield United's development as a club. They needed to get a a good goalkeeper in. And you know what? The nice thing is, I will say... I think with Wes Fodderingham there as well, that, you know, as Danny just mentioned, cover competition, I think they look really, really strong in that department now, because, you know what, people can laugh at Scottish football all they want. I, I, I don't. I, I love it. Wes Fodderingham has been at Rangers for the, for the past few years. He's played in old firm derbies. You know, I think just when you represent a club like Glasgow Rangers, a lot of people in the Premier League can get sniffy about the Scottish Premiership all they want. You've got to be a special player to last at somewhere like Rangers or Celtic for that long. He's he's clearly got something about him, that kid.
0: Something James said, Danny, about Aaron Ramsdale. He is Sheffield United's player. But that applies in more ways than one, doesn't he? There's a special connection there as well. Absolutely. I mean, just thinking
2: of the difference between Dino and Aaron Ramsdale at the minute, you know, with with Dino, you know, Sheffield United bought a two bed center. He added an extension to it, put a swim in the back garden, and they've ended up making it a hell of a lot more valuable than it was. And at the end of the day, it's not their, it's not their asset. You know, they're paying someone else's mortgage almost. So yeah, as well as as well as Dean done for Sheffield United, and Matt right, Jim rightly says, as well as Sheffield United have done for Dean as well, uh, is not their asset. And you know, sooner or later that had to change because you know there was never a chance that he was going to sign permanently. He's got. Quite rightly, he's got aspirations of being, you know, Man United's number one. I think he can do that. Um, so sooner or later, whether United got him on loan for the next season, next two seasons, next eight seasons, you know, at some point they were going to have to, you know, they can't keep kicking the can down the road as such and, you know, just keep kind of parking the problem. And like I said before, I think in Ramsdale, you know, I think they've they've addressed the problem as well as they, I said, the problem of not having a permanent keeper as well as, as, well as they could have, I think, you know, he knows... Like you said there, he knows the club, he knows a lot of the players still because so many have still there from when he left. Uh he knows the he knows the league as well, which is important. I know he's only had a single season there, but you know, with some of the other targets that Sheffield United were were linked with, you know, from abroad. You know, if they had gone for them and they'd come in, um, how long would they have taken to to adjust to life in the Premier League? We've seen with keepers before, you know, even you know, De Gea at Man United, you know, he had a uh, a bit of a tough time, didn't he, kind of acclimatising to the, to the Premier League. So would that have happened with some of the other targets? We we just don't know. And I don't think, from Sheffield United's point of view, they could afford to kind of take that risk. So, you know, they knew, they knew about Aaron, they knew about his, his ability. Importantly, they knew about his character as well. I know, as James said before, Darren Ward spoke very highly of him. I know there's someone who Chris has lost his word uh, on goalkeepers. Uh, and like I said, he knows his way behind the Premier League as well. So, yeah, for me, it's about as good as good a signing as they could have possibly made in that in that position this season. Um, I just hope that, if God forbid, you know, as goalkeeper, all goalkeepers have tough times of it. You know, if he does have a, a tough time at some point next season, I hope he gets the same kind of grace period that Dean would have got. Uh, because you know, even a keeper as good as Henderson, he dropped a few in at some point as well, as he'll admit himself. Uh, and as, as big as this fee is for Sheffield United, in terms of you know relative Premier League fees, it's not it's not that much. So you know for that for that kind of money, you don't sign you know great Premier League goalkeepers. Thinking of you know real top end goalkeepers, you sign good to very good ones, uh, which I think Aaron is, and I think he's definitely got the potential to be a to be a great. Uh, but I don't think he's quite there yet. So again, with like Oliver Burney, like we said earlier. Uh, with Sander Berger as well I think United are signing players who are good very good now but could be great and I think this is another kind of signing that follows that that kind of Chris, Wild, Chris Wilder uh, profile so yeah guess a thumbs up from me I'm looking forward to seeing how he, uh, how he goes
1: You've got, uh, I mean I think the other thing is just important to mention I mean yeah Aaron will make mistakes as, as Dean Henderson did he's a young player you know, you, you, you hope yep. those mistakes for any goalkeeper will become less and less. They'll, they'll still be making them if they're playing at 40, but you would mm. hope they make less of them. But I just think, you know, it's important to remember as well, let, let's be right, Aaron Ramsdale's got as much Premier League experience as Dean Henderson has got. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. More, I think, because he didn't miss two
0: games last season. Is that going to be the big thing then this, these next few weeks, James, in terms of depth now? And, and how many do you kind of see coming through the door? What have the been indications that you've got uh, from, from Chris Wilder and, uh, and other people at United? I, th-
1: I think we're possibly looking at about three, maybe four more. Uh, and I think they'll need that in terms of numbers. Uh, I know Chris Light's working with a with a small squad. He's spoken about that on a few occasions in the past, but I, I, I do think it it needs to get a little bit bigger because of the sort of the mental and the physical stresses of of, of top flight football. So I think they'll be looking at roughly about that number, uh, but it's not. I think the key thing for Sheffield United now is that. They, yes, they need depth, but it can't just be a case of I oh, would bring somebody in to fill a sort of a berth on the roster as it were The players they've got that they, you know they bring in have also got to be ready uh for for Premier League football or certainly be able to sort of grasp the challenges of of playing at the highest level so it it, it is about depth but it's it's also about quality. I think the other thing as well that where it is difficult to predict in terms of numbers, that's how Sheffield United would like to see the transfer unfold, uh, the transfer window unfold. But of course, you know, I don't think anyone would be too surprised if there was, you know, at some point in the window, likely to be, uh, likely to be interest in, in in a player that's already there that that, that Chris and, and Alan Neal, his assistant, don't want to lose. So. You know the the plans have got to be flexible and and fluid to some degree because you know you you can you can never say never in football can you you know nothing nothing lasts forever nobody's you know nobody stays at a football club in perpetuity so they've they've got to be ready but yeah it's about depth but the key word as always I think now is uh, is quality it always it, it, listen it always has been hasn't it you know whether you're in the conference you're in League Two League One or the Championship but I think in the Premier League, you you can't be affording to carry any passengers, even if, although nobody likes to be described as this, you have essentially been bought into uh, to beef up a squad a little bit.
0: Yeah, Danny, there's been quite a good kind of record of that over the last year and uh, six months in particular in terms of bringing players in that that do add something, and, and as well as that depth, aren't there?
2: Yeah, it's interesting, James said there about you know whether whether a, a bid does come in. You know, I think. It's something Chris has shown himself to be quite adept at in, that, in terms of not high red Redknapp style, but kind of wheeling and dealing in terms of the one that stands out in my memory is uh, when he sold Lee Evans. I think I was in the champ promotion season and everyone was thinking, you know, what's he doing there? We've got, you know, where's that come from? And then I think it was the Monday morning that uh, Nilwood comes in and then don't miss a game until the last game of the Premier League season. So, you know, he's it, kind of shown that but he has got that uh, ability to sort of wheel and deal and kind of create a bit of manoeuvres for himself on the on the budget, as it was. Um, but yeah, you know, I think his record in the transfer market since they went up, I think most of the players that he brought in have added, you know, at least something to the squad. I think Luke Freeman's been quite unfortunate to maybe not... Well, I say that, but then, you know, he has got, you know my favourite player as you well know in, in John Fleck in front of him. So any player who's gonna play in front of him, um, you know, will have to be an exceptional player. Um so yeah, I think yeah, the, since since he came up or since United came up, sorry, um you know the sign is that he have, he has brought in a ball added value, I think, to the to the squad, if not the team. And as Jim Rowley says, I think it's more about quality rather than quantity now and just kind of beefing up the positions. I mean, you know, they need another a big competition at right back for George Baldock. I mean, as good as he was last season, I think he played every minute in the league. Um, you know, that that will take its toll even for someone as as fit and athletic as George is, you know, that will take its toll and you think you have to think sooner rather than later. Not that I'm wishing it on him, but you have to wonder whether there will be, you know, an injury along the line. And at the minute there's no one who'd go in there to replace him. You know, he could probably shift. Chris Basham out there but he plays it in a very different way to George and that can George where so you know the kind of uh, links with, with Matty Tash seems to make a lot of sense uh, whether you know they're eventually priced out and move for him I don't know whether they can create some room with some players going the other way uh, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out but you know with everything we do this summer it yeah. won't just be a panic a panic buy-in yeah. we know that Chris doesn't do that and Backed up by Paul Mitchell and the rest of the scouting, the scouting team. You know, everyone is meticulously scouted, and you know, there's it's round pegs in round holes as it was, rather than what we've seen before him. So we know that anyone who comes in will be, will be brought into
0: a job. And uh, with Chris's
2: record in the transfer market, you're back into that job as well.
0: In terms of potentially people going the other way,
1: James John Lundstrom, what what's the latest uh, with his position? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. He's he's obviously, you know, decided not to sign the the contract uh, offer or not to accept the contract offer that's been made. That was, uh, you know, described at the time as being a a final take it or leave it offer. So clearly, John uh, and his his agent have decided that it's a case of leave it rather than take it. And I I personally expect, I think it's a shame. Uh, Listen, John's, quite within his rights to do this, you know, I'm not saying he's done anything wrong, far from it, you know, it's ultimately, he's got to look after his own career and do what he believes is, is right for himself, you know, and he's, he's not a lifelong Sheffield United fan. He's not, he's not from Sheffield, Uh, you know, so he's, he won't have any great emotional attachment to the area. So, you know, he's perfectly entitled to, to go and look elsewhere and see what's out there. I, 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 I don't see anything changing now. I, I'd be very, very surprised if come the end of the, the transfer window, John Lundstrom is, is still a Sheffield United player. Uh, and it, it clearly explains the interest in John Swift. Clearly explains the interest in him. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I, I honestly don't see that one changing. It's a shame, but you know, the king is dead, long live the king.
0: In terms of that pursuit, of John Swift has there been any sort of progress on that? Uh,
1: no. Uh, well, I think <laughs> I say no. Uh, I mean, the, obviously, there's there's clearly talks going on. Uh, Reading are playing hardball, which again, you know, they're perfectly entitled to do. It's not their job just to turn around and say, "Yes, Sheffield United, you want one of our best players, probably our best player, you know, uh, take him," you know. Uh, take him for what you want because you're a Premier League club and you're only in the Championship ready to play in a hard ball they're saying he won't be going anywhere uh, I think John would like to go uh, I think he's certainly a player who's ready to to step back into the, the Premier League uh, having started his career with Chelsea of course albeit I think he only played once but I think he's ready for that step up but no, Reading will make it as difficult as possible uh, they'll want the highest possible price and you know, like I say, they're, they're perfectly entitled to do that. I think there's been times in the past when we all were Sheffield United had uh, sort of adopted the same stance of being as, being as stubborn as ready now at the moment.
2: Mm.
1: I was going to say exactly the same thing there. I was going to jump in and just say,
2: I respect that from their point of view. Obviously, it's frustrating when you're on the other, on the other end of it and you want a player that the team's playing hardball with. But then, like you said, the amount of times when United have sold players over the years, you think, how much? You know, obviously, you don't always know the full ins and outs of deals, but you do sometimes think, know, there's a few more, could have put a few more notes on that price, maybe. So when it happens the other way, you know, I don't think you can really complain too much. You know, It's a bit, a bit hypocritical to complain other teams do it and then wish that you have done the same. So, yeah, fair play to them, but hopefully it gets sorted out sooner rather than later.
0: <laughs> on that note, having Ramsdale leaves a few years ago for one billion million, is that... Was that a bargain at the time? What What were you thinking at the time, and what were you thinking about? Obviously, right now it looks a massive bargain, but
1: what was the kind of thought back then in terms of how much they'd let him go for? Well, I mean, it was a massive bargain, wasn't it? Let Let's be right. We're We're saying that with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Bournemouth Bournemouth did a number on 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 Sheffield United back then. I mean, the cards were stacked in their favour. You know, I can understand why he went. I think as well Sheffield United needed the money at the time. That that's important to say. They, you know, were halfway through possibly the most important of the two promotions that they've achieved under Chris. As daft as that sounds, I think they just needed to get out of League One that season. So they needed they needed quick money just to make a few adjustments to their squad. They did that. It worked in Sheffield, you know, Sheffield United used that money well. Uh, they got out of the division, so you got to say they they got out of the deal what they wanted. But yeah, I mean, looking back on it, I think privately everybody who's still there at Sheffield United now would would say that clearly Aaron Ramsdale was worth more money. This the same as Dominic Calvert Lewin, who went to uh, who went to Everton was clearly worth more money than uh, than he than, than he was sold for. I think, you know, and there's no point in dressing this up. They're, they're, they will look back on those deals and think, you know, yeah, we had a sell-on clause. Tell you what, I wish we'd written a buyback clause into those deals as well. But at the same time, I think it's important to place it into context. You know, Sheffield United was a club that at that point in time had been out of the Premier League for over a, you know over a decade and... You know, perhaps that you know they just weren't as experienced in in, in dealing with top-flight clubs as they as they are now. And again, not a dig. That it's not a criticism in any way, shape, or form. Everybody grows with with experience, and I think there there will be things that they look back on in terms of the deals that they've done. You know, that they did back then. And think, yes, I know why we did them. We still believe we we were right to do them. Uh, you know the players will have wanted to to have had the opportunity to play Premier League football, but I think in terms of the actual mechanics and the nuts and bolts of the deals, and in terms of some, you know, the, the absence of a buyback clause, I think yeah, of course they'll look back on it and think, oh, "I wish we'd done things a little bit differently." And if we were doing the same things now, I think they would do them differently.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah,
2: I suppose well, there for every Aaron Ramsdale and uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin, there is a. Um, Jordan Slew and Jacob Mellis isn't there, so you know there's there's two sides that these deals can always. You know, you look at Jordan Slew and you say, at the time, we got the right price for him, and we probably over you know <clears throat> overpriced for him rather than under. So you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, you know, these deals shouldn't have been made. But every club makes them. You know, you look at you know Man United, so we just paul Pogba and buying him back for 90 million pounds or whatever it was. You know, it happens at every club. You know, you make decisions at the time, don't you? you don't I don't think Chris could have looked afforded at the time to think, well, if we're in the Premier League in three years and we need a goalkeeper, let's keep Aaron for that eventually. You know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big leap, isn't it? So I think at the time you make you make decisions based on what's in front of you and the fact that they've had to bring him back now for a hell of a lot more than what they're holding for is just a kind of a consequence
1: of the progress they've made, really. I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. But I think I think it's I think it's important the football club. And again, I keep saying this, it's, it's not a criticism. Mm. But I think it's important, you know, Chris has spoken on, on countless occasions about the need to improve and to get better at everything that we do. And clearly that goes for on the pitch. But I think, you know, it's, it's got to go for off it too as well. There'll, there'll be people working behind the scenes who, you know, will be more experienced now than they were at the start of last season. You know, they'll understand the way that the top flight works more now than they did last season, at the beginning of last season, or two years ago. And, you know, I think that they would be doing themselves a disservice because some really talented people working behind the scenes there. So I'm absolutely sure as well. They won't talk about this publicly. They'll because they've all got something about them, they'll go back and look at the way that some of those deals were done and perhaps some of the, you know, the way in which they were negotiated and some of the fees that perhaps they accepted and look back on it and think, you know what? Yeah, we, we could have done better at the time. We could have done better at the time. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can't afford that. Money's such a big thing in football now, unfortunately. You, you can't afford to... To keep making the same mistakes, I think that there were elements of those deals that were a mistake. Uh, I think there are elements of those deals that made perfect sense. Nothing's black and white, but you know it's important in terms of the way that Sheffield United do their business that they that they get better as well. But equally, the same goes at at, at Bournemouth or Brighton or or Leicester or or, or Chelsea. You know they they've got to look at ways in which they do sort of transfer dealings better too. So it's not a not a dig but you know I think it's important to recognize and as everybody does I'm sure that as brilliantly as they've done Sheffield United aren't perfect.
0: It's all
1: about as well it shows the importance of kind of improving your own
0: bargaining position because United weren't in a great bargaining position back then and, and uh, so million pound bids are a significant amount of money to potentially turn down right now. If somebody comes in for one of the better players, as we talked about, there's a possibility of that. They're going to be in a very, very good bargaining position, and uh, that to at least ensure that they're getting good value for the for any players that that they move on. But season rapidly approaching, we're just about three weeks out now. What what does pre-season look like, Danny, for uh, for the Blades?
2: Well, it, it,
0: it was a lot more solid
2: before the. Uh the whole announcement about uh, quarantine uh, came about. I think that last I heard that had thrown a few spanners in the works uh, in terms of uh, getting over there and getting, more importantly, getting back. Um, it's, a, it's just a strange period, isn't it, in terms of everything being so condensed. I mean, we're used to pre-season being such a long kind of draw. I, I said we're used to it like we have to do anything in terms of running or anything like that, but uh, you are just used to it being such a long kind of drawn-out process and the first game seems so far away when you know the, the pictures come out of the first day of pre-season. Um, but now, you know, it just seems to be a lot more um, you know thrown together almost in terms of time frames and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah there will be obviously there'll be games, you know, it's just kind of I think dotting the I's and crossing the T's as to where they are played. Um, you know Chris will have options. He'll have many different options for um, you know all eventualities in terms of what's going on in the world at the minute. Uh, and then, you know, whatever happens, I'm sure that along with his coaching staff, you know, when that first ball is kicked on the Monday night, I think it is, against Wolves, I'm sure they'll be as prepared as, as they
0: can be. James, it's, for United, it's kind of just about kind of bringing themselves back up to the level they'll not not have lost a lot of the fitness that they had and they'll certainly benefited from that bit of a rest after that congested period but this is not going to be a pre-season where there's going to be a lot of hard running and and things like that they're already
1: going to be at a a certain level that's just about
0: topping them up
1: Yeah I I, I think hard runnings. I mean listen there, there, there will be a bit of physical conditioning work going on but you know, you looked at them at the end of last season. I, I think that's the, the last thing that they, they need at the moment. So I think this pre-season will be slightly different in terms of the sense that clearly they'll be doing fitness work. Clearly there'll be work going on in terms of the conditioning. But I think this summer or the close season for Sheffield United, it was actually all about just rest and relaxation mentally and physically. And I think there'll be much more of an accent on the, uh, much more of an emphasis uh, on sort of the physical, uh, sorry, the, uh, the tactical work, the sort of the strategy side of things uh, during, uh, during this pre-season campaign. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it'll come round soon enough uh, and that's pretty much it for, uh, this episode of the Star Blades will be back on a weekly basis from now on, at least, bringing you uh, a, a new episode and plenty of discussion as we ramp up towards the start of the season and then get up and running with what's going to be a very, very busy campaign, another condensed season after the uh, the very, very condensed restart. But make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from so you don't miss an episode. You can also leave us a voice message via a link in the description to this podcast so you can send us your questions or comments. We'd definitely love to hear from mm. you. You can also send them to us on Twitter at the Star Blades and also on Facebook via our dedicated Sheffield United Facebook page, which you'll find if you do a quick search and, of course, head over to thestar.co.uk for the very best unrivaled and news, views and analysis of all things Sheffield United. While you're there, you haven't heard this for a few weeks, it's the subscriber message. Subscribe £1 for the first three months tremendous value an absolute steal for the top quality coverage that is provided by these two gents that you've been listening to today so one pound three months get on that as I've said really busy period coming up you don't want to miss one little bit but for now I'll say thank you very much for joining us take care and we'll speak to you again very very soon thanks very much Head over to thestar.co.uk for all the latest news, views and analysis of all things Sheffield United. Follow us on Twitter, at The Starblades or search for our dedicated United Facebook group. And remember that you can rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.